Hello and welcome to Informatics in the Round, a podcast designed to help every single one of us become a part of the dialogue about topics in biomedical informatics. I'm Kevin Johnson, physician and informatics researcher at the University of Pennsylvania, at KBJohnsonMD on Twitter, also to be found at www.kevinbjohnsonmd.net on the web. My co-host, S.T. Bland, is Senior Project Manager at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Well, as you noticed, there's no teaser on this episode. There's not even a musician. Instead, we cover one of the latest and hottest topics in healthcare today, which is, believe it or not, not COVID, which is certainly not cold, but, but not what we're covering. Instead, we're going to get at the heart of physician burnout, something that we have covered quite a bit this year, and in particular, some of the issues that relate to unnecessary documentation. Our guests today were actually discovered through an initiative that many of us around the country have been a part of called 25 by 5, and which we covered in a previous episode. This project is now sponsored by the American Medical Informatics Association, or AMIA, Sam Butler from Epic gave our two guests today an opportunity to present their incredible work during one of our 25 by 5 meetings. I thought this work was something that needed to get noticed as quickly as possible. And so we decided to develop this podcast to discuss what they've been doing. Dr. Heidi Tweet is Associate Chief Medical Information Officer at UW Health and is Clinical Professor in the Division of General Internal Medicine at UW i.e. the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Dr. Peter Kleinschmidt is the Medical Informatics Director of Quality and Safety and Assistant Professor in the Division of General Internal Medicine at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. The two of them have been doing some very interesting work and we look forward to sort of unpacking that here. Of course, I'm joined by ST, who will help us to ask some very insightful questions, as you'll soon find, and Uh, That's it. So let's get to it. I'm Kevin Johnson. You guys, I think we've we've met we've met only once, really, right? Uh, I'm a professor at uh, Penn. I was at Vanderbilt for a lot of years, and while I was at Vanderbilt, I had the pleasure of being both the chair of the department and the CIO of our health system, and I implemented Epic. So I had the joy of going from a transition from a homegrown system that was the basis of all of our research and everything else to a commercial system and having having to sell that to people as a really big move up, which I actually believe it was. Um, But there were issues, as you might imagine, along the way, and we'll probably talk about some of those today. ST, who are you? Yeah, uh, I'm S.T. Bland. Um, I am a senior project manager in the Center for Precision Medicine in the Department of Biomedical Informatics at Vanderbilt. Um, I uh, Most of my work is around um, putting genetics and uh, family history and just research data into the EHR, seeing what happens. Okay, Heidi, you wanna go next? Sure, I'm Heidi Tweet. I am an internal medicine physician and clinical informaticist. I'm associate CMIO at UW Health mm-hmm. and program director for our uh, Clinical Informatics Fellowship, which starts next summer. How do you like being associate CMIO? I like being, I was CMIO at Sanford Health for about a decade before coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not a role that's new to me, but I, 
I really like uh, informatics leadership. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Peter. Yeah, and I'm Peter Kleinschmidt. I am also an internal medicine trained physician practicing in primary care and a clinical informaticist at UW Health. Um, I hold the title of Director of Quality and Safety here, which puts me into a, a variety of different projects. Um, and one of those passions being uh, documentation improvement. So Peter, does that mean that you tell Heidi what to do? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> Just this morning, we were discussing uh, indications for medications, and we deferred to Peter for the last say. See, it's that Midwestern sensibility, which is, you know, the Northerners and the Southerners ask these things, and you guys are like, no, 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 everybody just gets along. You know, it's great. <laughs> the topic for today can't be overstated in terms of its importance. The, uh, we've spent a lot of time this year on the podcast focusing on data, and in particular on clinical systems and interoperability and portals, and we've kind of spent some time thinking through all that. We also got into the issues around 21st century cures. And while we were busy producing you know, those podcasts, there were some things happening on the national front, one of which was 25 by 5, this new initiative that was started by ACME, now taken over by AMIA, and that has a number of commercial and other uh, teams of people trying to improve documentation for physicians and nurses with an aim of getting that down to 25% of what it is now sometime in the next five plus years. Then there were some articles from JAMA that came out that kind of exposed what we all know. Um, really, really great one from the team at Caroline talking about the fact that if you look across all physician notes, more than 50% of the information is duplicative. And, and I imagine that ST in her role as a researcher can tell us a lot about what they have to do to get rid of that because of how much it confounds the work that she does. Um, then we have CMS coming out with brand new guidance about ENM in January of 2021 and studies coming out saying it didn't make a difference. Note lengths were basically still the same. You know, a great, great piece came out in Annals by Nate Apathy that talked about that fact. And then Christine Sinsky wrote an editorial that described why that might actually be the case, really having to do with timing, but also having to do with the topic today. Um, and we have all the information coming out about burnout, which isn't getting better and in fact appears to be getting worse. And some suggestions now that there may be some nursing and physician attrition related to burnout. So I was privy to a conversation we were having in the 25 by five space when Sam Butler from Epic introduced us to Heidi and Peter and said, you need to see what they've done. So I thought it would be a really great opportunity for you guys to talk about what you did in light of all that literature I just said, um, and for ST and me to pick it apart and ask you the hard questions and let the audience who is secretly thinking, please tell me that they have something that we should all be learning from. And the answer is we do, but we'll try to pick it apart so that people understand what you've done and how beneficial it is. Would love to just uh, reflect on some of the things you mentioned there, uh, Kevin, of, of just these patterns that we've seen with Note composition or note writing. And the trends really have been present since really the kind of modernization of the EHR with High Tech Act. It, as soon as you kind of see adoption of this, you start seeing documentation increasing. Um, and that uh, paper in JAMA that shows over the last 10 years, that trend increasing of uh, word counts nearly doubling from 2010 to 2020, with a lot of that just being 
the same words being copied over and over, kind of producing redundancy. Uh, there was that great movement that came from CMS to try to take some of the requirements of what has to go into a note or what needs to be there and to allow us as as providers or as physicians to really take that back and put in things that are just really relevant and useful for us, for our peers and for patients. Unfortunately, at UW, we saw the same thing that happened nat nationally, which is after those guidelines went through, there wasn't a big change. Our notes continued to get longer over the six months that followed from the change in January of 2021. And that's really where our project came in, which was trying to find a way to move back from that uh, with the realization that just a change in policy isn't enough to change behavior. Um, Heidi had experience with this previously in driving clinicians to use a standardized note template and saw some successes and we wanted to build on that at UW. Um, let, me, let me interrupt you for just a second here. So every single doctor who's listening to this is experiencing increasing note lengths despite these changes from CMS. And probably the first thing everybody's gonna say is, I have gone to our CMIO or our CIO or our department chair or our president, whoever, and I've said, why aren't we doing this work? So what, what's making it hard to go from this guidance change, this guideline change to reality? You know, I think there's uh, just kind of a practical issue that on January 1st of 2021, physicians didn't wake up and say, I think I will completely change the way I do my work today <laughs> because a regulation happened that they may or may not even be aware of. And even when we promoted that change amongst our physicians, we didn't see a change in behavior. And that's shown in the literature as well. That So uh, this is a really interesting topic for me because my mom retired this past year and for most of her career, she's a nurse by trade, but for most of her career, she was a case manager, but she also started um, three different documentation, uh, clinical documentation um, programs within hospitals um, around Virginia and then in Georgia. I didn't know that. And, uh, yeah. So, um, so my mom was a documentation specialist and uh, even when I was in college, she'd come home and kind of tell me about what it was like to create those programs and try to help uh, change physician behavior and note-taking. And uh, throughout the entire time, she would say, it's the behavior of trying to get doctors to even respond to my queries. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get them to even answer me, no matter incentive or penalty or what. So you're saying it's a very behavior-driven um, act that has to occur, right? Mm -hmm. I, I do believe it's very behavior driven and it's adaptive change, right? It's not just a technical fix, but okay. it's but it's thinking about your note in a new way. So most of us uh, trained and became physicians since coding changed in the mid nineties with the with the E and M codes of nineteen ninety five and ninety seven. So many of us never knew a day before those changes. And I remember when I was a resident, I saw a note in a paper chart from the 70s oh written by uh, an internist in my organization who was literally the first master of the uh, American College of Physicians in my state. So well-respected physician. And the note said, annual exam, exam unchanged, same plan. And oh, even as a resident in the late 90s, I realized I don't get to do that. So Heidi, did you view that as a good note or a bad note? 
some of each, I think. It's a it told me everything I needed to know about a perfectly healthy 40 something year old woman uh, who came in and really nothing had changed. So what, what's the bad part? I think the bad part is if you didn't know what was unchanged. Right. right. Then unchanged doesn't mean very much if you don't know unchanged from what. But. Yeah, I think that. Go ahead. Sorry. Th this gets to the first question about this, you know, handwriting about notes being longer. And does that mean that a note is worse, right? Especially in internal medicine, we have this long tradition of ranking those who are the most superior clinicians or academic clinicians as the ones who write the longest exhaustive notes. And I'm not here to tell you that the shortest note is the best note, but I am here to tell you that the longest note is probably not the best note, simply because the relevant information is in there somewhere, but the amount of effort it takes to get to that is overwhelming. And that's where I think a lot of this com concept of burnout comes from, which I'm, I know we'll get to in a little bit. So, yeah. So, so for people who don't really understand what notes look like, and now maybe some people are seeing it because of 20, 21st century cures. And I'm when I say some people, I'm thinking about the average patient who goes in their portal and is looking at information that uh, they're now able to access because of 21st century cures. What should a standard note look like? Like what would what would it, what information would be contained in that? This is really where our project was born, which is getting down to the very basics or the very bare necessities of what a note should be made of, because with that change in the coding um, guidelines, we no longer had all of the extra things that really don't add clinical value. So you don't need to be blowing in the full medication list. You don't need to be in, blowing in the full problem list. All those things that maybe weren't actually updated that visit, but you're putting it in there just because it needs to be done, quote unquote. Really, what should be in a note should be what you did what you're thinking and what you're going to do next, right? Those are the things that we care about. And we being the collective we of clinicians, our colleagues, and patients. Um, when a patient goes back to read a note, they probably just want to know what the plan is or what they should be doing. They don't want to reread their entire exhaustive history. And we also probably don't want to hear when they tell us all the things we got wrong in that because we just blew forward outdated information, right? So it's a big part of this is just paring down to the things that are going to be useful or taking the note back from, sorry, I don't want to throw your mom under the bus, but what, this feeling that we've had in the past of people telling us what we had to put into it. Um, and I think that that gets to a bit, of, a bit of that culture and why probably clinicians don't feel eager to respond to those kinds of queries is because it feels like it's someone else telling them what they need to do. And we're here to give that back to the people writing the notes. So she's going to listen to this and she's going to say, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> I, do, I do think a, a big part of our success was getting coding and compliance and clinical yes. documentation improvement and legal and the physician informaticist and the IS team all on the same page about what our note template was going to be and why. And having conversations about does the medication history need to be in the note or can it be in the encounter summary? Does the past medical history need to be in the note or can it be in the encounter summary? Because things might need to be documented, but that doesn't mean they need to be in the note. And there's a difference between those two that I think has sometimes been lost in the conversation.
So in fact, I know I want to get to the meat of this, but this is really important information. So you've described two of three possible terms that people use for notes. Do they represent two or three things? Here they are. One is sort of a, an encounter summary. Then you've set a note. And I know there's also an after visit summary. What, just tell me which ones are which, which, or are two of them the same thing? So in our electronic health record, the encounter summary is the collective of everything that occurred during that interaction, during that clinical interaction. So it might include the vac documentation of the vaccinations that were given, the notes, um, some of the rooming questions that were asked, and that is sort of the full record of everything that occurred. The note is just the clinician, uh, you know, words uh, for what occurred during the visit. And then the after visit summary is the collection of data that is most important to the patient in a display uh, method that's easy for the patient to understand. That is an outpatient facing output of the visit, either on paper or in a patient portal. Got it. So when most people talk about note bloat, or uh, cut and paste, or um, you know, three to five times longer notes in this country than there are internationally. Which of the three of those are they referring to? They're talking about the clinician written notes. That's a subset of everything that occurred in that encounter. Which would be the not the encounter summary and not the after visit summary. Right. And when we talk about open notes, which ones are typically exposed? Um, most notes from most types of encounters are now showing in patient portals as of the CURES Act. So patients will see two or three notes for every encounter that has notes available. Correct. Right. Okay. Thank you. That's very clarifying. Okay. So, so you guys, okay, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, so, um, you know, to unthrow my, my mom under the bus a little bit, <laughs> um, you know, to bring the bus back in reverse a little bit, maybe we might go forward again, but uh, you're, so I think I've heard her talk about the standard template and, and I see it in Epic, you know, people using the template. Uh, what about adoption rates though? Because I think some of the issues that my mom would talk about would be that there would be standard templates and folks just wouldn't use them. They would go and write these long notes that didn't contain what was necessary, which would be why sometimes she would have to write queries because they wouldn't put in what needed to be put in. Um, are you seeing people adopt uh, at your centers, you know, these uh, these templates? Um, or, or is it, again, going back to behavior, really hard to get people to change their behavior and what they're used to? Yeah, so I think that really that is the the crux of a project like this is finding ways to make this the best way to do things, to show people that this is the easiest workflow. And the way we achieve that with our at UW with our project is, for one, is getting strong organizational leadership buy-in. And so when I'm out there talking about this template, my division chair is introducing and saying, hey, everyone, you need to listen to this. This is going to be great. It's going to change your life. And then they hear that again a week later from the division head and a week after that from the chief clinical officer. And so we have all levels of leadership engaged in this. And then we provide the tool that's going to support that, again, to actually make good on that and make their life better. Um, a lot of things have happened in the last couple of years as we've transitioned to this 
new model of care with a lot of telemedicine and all of these things where it's darn near impossible to keep track of what you actually have to put into a note to keep compliant. And so we say, don't worry about that. We'll take care of that for you. Use our template. If something changes, it'll be there for you. So we take that cognitive load off of, their, off of them. And then the other part to it is we, and what I say with this is we show our data early, show our data often. So at the beginning of this, when we were rolling this project out in July of 2021, that data was just me. It was, I was running, piloting the template and I'm, I'm my division's informaticist. They understand that I am pretty focused on efficiency. And I showed my colleagues that my notes got a, over a thousand characters shorter and I was writing my notes more quickly. And they went, wow, he's going faster. I should listen. Uh, and then we had some pretty good buy-in collected data again, internal medicine where I was, was the first group to really kind of start to take this and run it, run with it. Family medicine, which is kind of separately housed for us, um, was, didn't quite get the early stage. So we showed our data to them and they kind of had that jealousy build up here, um, really where you kind of start to see the contagion come through or efficiency contagions. And another term I like to use here, which is, you know, make people want to come and join you and, and um, really show the benefits early and keep reiterating that as the, um, as the pie gets slice gets bigger of users. And we had our colleagues in other disciplines reiterating it as well. So when compliance went around to discuss, you know, some endeavor uh, to improve documentation, they also mentioned, by the way, if you use the standard note, this will all just happen for you. And I think that really um, helps be the carrot that gets providers over as well. So, so let yeah. me make sure, this is terrific. Let me make sure I understand it. So recognizing the problem of notes that were too long, a lot of cut and paste, and that were not making the clinicians or any happier, you guys took advantage of what you knew about the changes related to the CMS E&M guidelines, shortened the template, and people seem, and then in, in demonstrating that, were able to demonstrate that the notes were shorter and that it was making people happier. So a couple questions. Number one, if I were to look at a note from before and a note from after you've changed the template, what would I notice differently aside from it being shorter? So I can speak to that. Uh, we removed the review of systems. Um, we instead embed directed follow-up questions in the HPI. And then we removed uh, links that pull in past medical history, past surgical history, et cetera, the medication list, allergies, we don't pull in any patient level structured data from elsewhere in the charts. And we don't automatically pull in any lab or imaging or other data. So That's it is really true. just history of the present illness, physical exam, assessment and plan. And actually we do APSO, so assessment and plan is at the top of the note, and then HPI, and then physical exam. Wow, that's amazing. And so if I were the doctor who is receiving the note from you, what am I noticing and am I happy about it? So the other part to this then is this was a move to adopt a feature that Epic offers, which is collapsible sections. So in addition to flipping the order of the information to have the assessment at the top, we also have those sections collapsing down. The APSO format, I think, is probably one of the bigger wins on this. It's one of the harder things for us to query because it really gets to that chart review concept or Kevin, like you mentioned, the receiving doctor and how they review the note. 
in the pre-standard note template era and, and where some of our colleagues were still writing their old long notes and the assessment is at the bottom, we've all had this experience, which is you're reading your colleague's note and you're trying to figure out what happened and you start scrolling and you scroll faster and faster and faster until that wheel probably starts to smoke because you're just trying to get to the bottom of the note where the meat is. Oh, yes. Oh, I call yes. this rage scrolling. We've all had that experience. <laughs> and so that was, again, if, if there's one thing I can get people to think about, it's changing that order to again put the relevant information where you need it to be. APSO is surprisingly controversial. It's something that a lot of people resist pretty hard. I actually resisted this pretty hard in the project because I came at this project saying, well, I was taught and the way I do a visit is I walk in the room and I talk to the patient. So that should go first because that's what happened first. But again, reframing this as what is the purpose of the note and what are you going to be looking at in the future? I'm probably not going to be reading that history first. I might, I'm you know, often going to go back and query what happened or what we talked about. But first thing I'm usually looking for is just what was the plan and what are we doing next? Right. Um, so I think that that simple change there is one of the biggest wins, but it's harder to prove that with data because it gets to the challenge of understanding what's happening in chart review. We okay. can very easily count characters and we can very easily count how long it takes to write a note. But I really think the readability component to this is actually one of the biggest wins. Very interesting. And Peter actually talks about it being often his own notes that he was rage scrolling <laughs> through when he first oh, yeah. flipped to app. So because you often read your own note from the last year or whatever. When I go back uh, and read my last physical, it's like, who wrote this thing? My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so have you heard from any of the outside doctors, anything even qualitatively about, you know, thank you so much for shortening the length of the notes you sent, or um, I can't get to the lab results that you generated. How do I get to those? I mean, what are you hearing? So, so I, I'll take this one of, that is, you know, I think probably one of the, the things that we get more pushed back from is, the, this comes especially, I think, in some of the medical subspecialties where they view their note as the package that includes all of the data and how is someone outside the system ever going to be able to view that. Um, fortunately, we have made huge strides in interoperability and having access to this data through those portals, um, an Epic, that Care Everywhere portal, for example, where really you can get the source to the source of truth that you know is going to be reliable because it's coming discreetly from the record that you're taking it from versus those things that are copied into the note, you know, honestly, me as a primary care physician, I can't always trust that the echo report that was copied into the note is the most current one or accurate. Um, I much rather would see that from the source. Um, so I think that there's some kind of myth busting there too. And really, and this is something Heidi talks, talks about a lot too, is the specialists have this idea that we as primary care providers want to know every word, but the reality is we just want to know what happened. Um, right. And all the other data, if we need to find it, then we'll do the effort or take the work to actually dig it out. But most of the time, we just want to, just want to know the assessment and plan. And I think the reality for the PCP is there is not enough hours in the day to read that long a note from every medical subspecialist that all of our patients have seen since we last saw them, right? So we need, we need the kind of assessment and, and plan so that we're on board with what has changed. Um, and that's really all we need. Yeah, tell me what you did and tell me what I should be doing. So uh, so I work in the Center for Precision Medicine. So that means that we want things to be precise. Um, we, <laughs> you know, really? I know, I know, I'm very wise. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, a lot of things that I, I work around um, are thinking about health equity. And, and one of our topics that we're actually uh, going to discuss in another podcast is equitable informatics. So thinking about how, you know, everyone kind of comes in with their own story there, you know, you might have someone who is experiencing homelessness or you might have someone who, um, you know, they have a family history that's unique or someone, um, you know, there's all these just different little situ situations that might help um, that might be pertinent to that patient's health. How do you incorporate some of these, you know, outlying information and, and use cases into something that's such a standardized template? So much of that information belongs at what I would call the patient level rather than the encounter level. Mm. So there is a place in the EHR for social determinants of health information that is separate from any one provider's note so that anyone can get to that information easily. So better to have it there where the emergency room can see it and the discharging hospital physician can see it and the primary care physician can see it than to bury it in the text of my note under some social history that no one's ever going to read again, maybe not even me. So I think a well-designed EHR has places for that information that are make it easier for everyone to access it and then it doesn't need to be pulled into anyone's notes. Sure, yeah. Uh, do you think that people still adopt it if it's not in that note area, at least for y'all? Yeah, we've we've adopted the social determinants of health. We started in our OBGYN clinics uh, with an endeavor to help with uh, uh, maternal fetal wellness and it, it, we had very heavy adoption pushing the questions out through the patient portal and then with a standard follow-up plan. And the thing I, say, I would say to that is, you know, so when I'm teaching residents in the clinic and I show them this template and they say, well, where's the social history section? I say, well, if there's something relevant to the social history that came up in your interview, put it in the history of the present illness. If it's relevant to the care you're providing, it should still be there. Mm -hmm. I think what we have found is a lot of those sections of, of the note that we cut out previously were just repopulated what was in the chart in the other areas that Heidi's mentioning. And more often than not, it wasn't actually addressed or updated that visit. And many times probably wasn't even the author of the notes words it was taken from someone else who wrote it in but now you're displaying it to the patient as if you wrote it and so uh, that it creates a whole nother uh, level of kind of trust and questions and things like that i think when a patient is reading these notes and may not understand that provenance of where the data came from um, that's just populated in wow that is a i never really thought about that um i wonder whether you know that's something we probably should learn is do the patients believe that just because it's in the note, if it wasn't discussed during the visit, it's some other magically created thing. Does it somehow impact trust? I don't know what people think. It's an interesting yeah, question. Yeah. This is the fun thing about this is it always just brings up more different questions. And yeah. sometimes they're just character cons and sometimes they're deeply philosophical, right? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I'm hearing you guys talk about, which is, this is by the way, an amazing program that I really hope we can get very widely adopted. So when I think about this program, and you, I, you're in an electronic health record ecosystem that is shared by more than half of the doctors in this country and a few in the, throughout the world, does what you've done directly um, transfer? In other words, could I ask every division of internal medicine or every primary care practice 
to start using your template and will that work? It would work. The base of the template would work and we can and have shared that. There are a few things in our template that we built. The technical term is CER rules, but it takes certain criteria in mind to display or not display information. And that's where we have the content that pulls in in a video visit or in a telephone encounter sort of pulls in the magic phrase you need to say to build for that visit. Those phrases and some of that build is unique to us, but could be replicated at another organization. And is the provenance, to, to use Peter's word, of the CER information, um, is that coming from specific stakeholders outside of you? In other words, could the, could the instructions for adopting the template include this section needs to be reviewed by this stakeholder? Would that work? Yes, we have widely shared our notes and have and have shared the phrases that we use. Uh, but there, you know, every organization's compliance department would probably want to look at exactly what that phrasing was uh, with their needs in mind and adapt for theirs. Well, okay, let me ask you another question then. So as I'm listening to you talk about this, um, I hear multiple stakeholders and I hear multiple work in the process and people section, not the technology section. So this is a classic informatics challenge. In particular, I'm hearing about APSO training and organizational change management because notes are about to change completely. Things are going to be shifted. I want there to be less information, etc. cetera. Uh, I imagine that it's difficult to write an APSO note while you're with the patient, which means training about how to construct your note in the right order so that you're not doing it all during what people call pajama time, right? Then there's going to be EHR retraining because clearly if what you're trying to do is say, please don't incorporate all of this information, you also need to say there are better structured places in the electronic health record to place it. And I would wager that there's a significant minority, if not majority, of billing providers who had no idea those sections even existed and may not believe that it's their role to play with them. And then third, there's myth busting, right? There's the group of people who need to be trained about why this is a useful template relative to what they might be doing before. Do I have that right? And if so, which parts of that have been the most thorny to get through? So when we first uh, put together our proposal to talk about this the first time, I remember Peter saying, well, this isn't much of a template, right? There's not a lot left there. So, you know, what is, you know, what will we talk about? But you're right. What we'll talk about is the change management and achieving the buy-in and uh, the conversations that we had to try to pitch this. Um, I think the largest uh, barrier with um, getting providers to come over to our standard note has been not pulling in lab results and other types of results because there is, uh, there are some providers who use their note as a form of chart review, in part to your point, because they might have a hard time finding the information that they want in the chart, or they may need to go to several locations in the charts to get all the information that they want. But then that's on us to help build them other tools to find the information that they need quickly so that their note doesn't need to be chart reviewed. Because it's actually kind of a dangerous way to do chart review because totally. you don't know what you missed. Right. And you don't know the caveats of those links that you're using and in what situations they break yep. and in what situations they work. That's so important because one of my favorite conversations or most common conversations is this one. 
I put the vaccine information in and it looks like the patient had the vaccine before the visit because of the way I included it. Can't you make the EHR roll back the clock and incorporate the information before my nurse gave the vaccine? I gather you guys have run into this. Yes, I've run into this with room, the rooming medication list. Yes. And what link do you use to get the rooming medication list to not include the prescriptions that you write during that visit if you refresh your note or update the data that's being pulled in? Yeah. Yes. Just a good reason to not pull your medic the medications into the note, right? Right. Uh, and, and it used to be that, you know, back to that encounter summary, it used to be that that encounter summary didn't freeze in time for only the meds of that day. And then you did need the meds in your note in order to prove what meds they were on that day. But now the system is better and displays that in a more effective manner. And so we don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. And so that gets to that myth busting part of it, right? It's just, uh, again, reassuring that things function the way that we say they do and showing where the things live um, within the chart. And the medication list, I think, is a prime example of that. Um, so it is it is very much more than just about a notice about really optimizing how we interact with the record and all the different dusty corners of it that um, that we maybe don't always get to. I have one more question and I can tell that Sarah has a bunch. I'm sorry, I can, ah, I'm really screwing this up. I have one more, okay. <laughs> you didn't get enough alcohol today, did you? <laughs> oh, I know, the cup is totally empty. Okay. Eat more I, limoncello, I, huh? Yeah, yeah, really, no limoncello. And I need to send it out. I have one uh, question I want to ask, and then I can tell that ST has a bunch of questions that she's dying to get out of here. So what you were just describing was this these really challenging training issues and kind of change management issues among providers who are using this template. I'm curious about one other thing, which is hospital and clinic staff attrition. So we have new nursing staff, we have new coding staff who are being trained on a completely different way to document. Have you had to change nursing and coding training or are physicians conf being confronted by people who swear they're doing things the wrong way now that they're using your template? Yeah, that's a great question because I think that's a, a part of this work that goes unnoticed behind the scenes is that we did connect with coding leadership and I actually offered to do a demonstration of how our note works, showing the provider facing oh, clicks and yeah. components of the note to our coding leaders down to the manager and supervisor level so that they would understand how it looks to be generating this note, where the data flows from, where the, you know, where, how, what tools are used to get information into the note, et cetera. And I think that was key because I think you're right that for years you would hear from your coder, oh, you need to add this to your note. Oh, you need to do this for your note. And you would just absorb all of those rules without understanding all the caveats of them. And that's part of how our notes got so long. I would rather pull everything but the kitchen sink into my note rather than get a coding query from your mom, right? So <laughs> I'll just err on the side of putting it all in there. And, and, and then over time you lose legibility and you can't find the things you need because there's all these other things in there. And I think all of us being on the same page about what belongs in there is helpful. And if we hear from one of our physicians, hey, my coder says I'm doing this wrong, we can go to the coding leaders and say, we're hearing this, what are you seeing? 
and agree on what the right way to tackle that problem is in the context of our standard challenge. Yeah, I'm just going to tell my mom not to listen to this podcast. It's right. it might be <laughs> good. Because she will have some opinions. <laughs> but it really is taking it away from that us versus them. And be, because we don't have all of the granularity of things that, quite frankly, a lot of physicians just can't or don't care to know about. And that's why we need need that um, that healthy relationship. So, yes, And that's, that's not to say that we don't it. appreciate the need for accomplishing DRG documentation and, right. and all the things, you know, that do happen in the, uh, in the record. Right. Uh, one of the things that Kevin mentioned a little bit and, um, and something that, uh, that kind of brought this question up for me is with, uh, with the pandemic, we had a lot of travel and locums staffing. Um, and so, you know, that means you have somebody who's not going to be in the hospital for that long. Um, you know, and, and might be there for 12 weeks or whatnot. Um, so uh, was the pandemic, I don't know when you adopted this, but did the pandemic affect um, the the uptick of this being used? Um, or did you see a lot of folks who just said, yep, I'm not going to be here long enough to really train on this kind of thing that you're doing. So I'm going to do what I normally do. We were sort of past the peak of the pandemic at least past the locums and travel aspect of it by the time we implemented the notes. Gotcha. But I do think in having a standard note that a appears and is available with the click of one button actually makes it easier when we have learners or when we have new hires or when we have people visiting our system because then they know that that's the right note template to use at UW. Mm. So does that mean then that you're, are y'all seeing any uh, generational differences um, oh, yeah. in adoption? So those are great questions and things that we're looking at. Um, uh, we're, the other person who's not here today with us is Adam Rule, who's uh, information researcher. Right. Um, and so he and I are taking a bit of a dive into some of those variations in demographics and um, different note writing characteristics. You know, one interesting thing is it doesn't quite get to generational, but there is the group, you know, we've been talking a lot about our results and things like that. And I do want to get to some of the more detail on that, but people who actually never touched our template and never used it are actually writing some pretty efficient notes or shorter notes. And one segment of that are those old, those few dictators we still have who pick up the phone and, and speak everything into it. Their notes actually are still some of the shortest notes in our systems. Obviously, I have some other issues with readability and utility of some of the things that go in there, but there is some people who have that um, they have their practices figured out. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of why we didn't say this is a mandated thing. It's We came up this as very much as a voluntary thing. Like Heidi mentioned, there's just a button, made it available for everyone, click that button, it'll bring our template in. The coolest thing I think about this project for me is that, yes, I can go out there and say, if you use our template, our character count, your, your notes are going to get a thousand characters shorter and you'll spend a minute less time writing those notes. But we saw a benefit across our whole division in internal medicine when we did this education. So even if you choose not to take our template, there are some things you can take to this and bring it into your own notes. And, you know, that's part of it gets back to that change management of allowing people to still do things the way that they're most comfortable and just kind of guide them into it and pull them in. And hopefully eventually they'll join us. Um, and so we have seen that with this, too. We're just going to keep mentioning the carrot and we're just going to keep making the carrot bigger 
and mm. eventually I'll, you know, it'll be the easiest thing to do and it'll be what everyone else is doing. Right. So Peter, you, um, there were some data that you had to just, that you wanted to bring in. I'd love to hear more about what you learned from this and what's next. Yeah, so the preliminary data we have, which we're working on writing up right now, gets to just some of those impacts. And the two easiest things to get at are character counts and time writing notes. And really that's where we see some huge improvements. Um, we So the reduction right now that we're seeing is, like I said, about a thousand characters um, of note length being shorter. And it's pretty easy to come to that and say, well, yeah, because you just got rid of all of the templated content. But we can back that up that there's something else happening because people are writing their notes more quickly as well. So you're presumably bringing in less auto population of text, which you know in the early days of the EHR was sold to us as an efficiency gain. Your notes are getting shorter, but you're also writing them more quickly. And I think that that comes from the philosophy part of it about what we're actually writing about and giving it more of that focus on putting in the concise and critical information that doesn't take nearly as long to type quite right. simply. Um, so yeah, like I said, we're seeing some, the timing thing is a little bit challenged, but somewhere in the 45 to 60 seconds per note reduction in people who are using our template most of the time. Um, the template doesn't work for everything specifically. So certain kind of consult notes, for example, um, in internal medicine, we're not writing nearly as many of those, but we're still waiting on the coding changes to come for those in January of 2023. So that I think will help um, spur some more adoption and, and see some numbers changing a bit more. We're at about 30% adoption in internal medicine right now. Um, other divisions are kind of coming along. Um, so it's again, it's we're still we're still at the front front end of this, and and getting to the the next sixty six percent is is our next challenge. And the other thing here is we mentioned this at the top, but our notes in the United States are averaging around five thousand characters, and um, you know other parts of the world using Epic, it's less than two thousand. So us shaving off a thousand characters still leaves another two thousand to get. <laughs> down to the rest of the world. So there's still, you know, a lot of places that we can try to see about how we can um, make these even more effective. Um, I think, I think, I think we're just more complex as a state, as a country. Our notes are <laughs> yeah. like that. I mean, we do have more health issues than a lot of those countries, right? So but that's, a, that's a different podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> really, totally. <laughs> I want to, so 30%, it would seem to me, so when I was at Vanderbilt, a guy named Dario Jusse wrote a brand new electronic health record called Star Panel. He put it out there and people so loved it that they adopted it virtually to about 80% in six months. You're telling me that you've got these great results, there should be some people who are really feeling a difference in time, and yet it's only penetrated 30%. So what, so I can imagine that if we get this out for everybody to use, there's going to be others who look at their template list and say, I only see that this lovely thing that you talked about is being used by 10 for 15% because they won't have your evangelism behind it. Um, can you comment on what you think the reason is for the other 60 or 70% not to adopt it and whether it's going to be more of the same effort or a very different effort to get them to adopt it? I think a portion of what's left is those who had their own note, note templates that they liked very much. And they may have, I see lots of notes that look like ours, but aren't exactly ours. So some of the more savvy users have taken the flavor of ours, but then added 
one or two things that they liked about their historic note template. So technically the data doesn't show them as using our note, but to the average viewer, uh, their note would be our, the same as ours. Yeah, as that's good. Like. And that's where I think that we have seen some of those changes where people who aren't using our template nearly as much are still seeing some of the changes being reversed since we went on this evangelical project. Yeah. Um, because again, there's some of these kind of common best practices that we can also instill. And hopefully we're getting, like Heidi says, close to a common stand standard format uh, to help get that readability piece there as well. So I work in one of our larger clinics as a float internist. So I cover a lot of my colleagues' patients every week. And I rarely see a note that's not APSO. Huh. Um, and, and most of the time they have the collapse sections. Yeah. So do you think you're going to have to do anything different to get to 100%? What do you think, it's, Peter? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I, yeah, love, cause, cause... I love watching the two of you not say anything for a couple of seconds. <laughs> it's kind of like, I have so much good stuff to say, but I've said too much. I never <laughs> You know, I, it, I think it's, again, I'm, I, I never want to have a heavy hand or say that it needs to be 100%, because again, what works for you may still be the right thing. Um, if I can give you some tools to help get you there. So again, what I want to do next is make sure everyone's using a collapsible section. And I've had a few people who I know, no matter how hard I push, they're never going to adopt app so and they're just going to say well i still want my subjective at the top but it's collapsed so it doesn't matter because you just have to look down an extra you know three lines within the chart review and and you know someone like that okay if you're happy i'm happy so uh, to, to me the bigger win here is is watching the overall trends uh, not so much about our adoption but again if we can start seeing that curve continue to bend down on uh, the length of time and hopefully that translates into everything else about satisfaction in the EHR and satisfaction in the job and hopefully again pulling us away from the burdens of documentation and more to the yep. choice of medicine right yep because our ultimate goal was to lessen the cognitive burden for the author and the reader which it seems like you've done hey ST I've got a question for you yeah so with this change in the notes I would imagine that the work to develop a phenotype requires a much more extensive and sophisticated pull of data from the EHR since the note won't be all-encompassing. Yeah. Is that true? And if so, can you imagine that there's going to be any issues with converting this and then using the data for research? Yeah, I feel, um, I feel like this could be a really great thing for us because one of the things that I struggle with um, with our family health history project is we have an API set up uh, from our partner at Duke University for their program called Mitri um, into our EPIC. And so every time um, there's been a review of the chart and let's say the this patient goes, you know, 10 or 12 times within the year, sometimes those uh, same items will populate 10 or 12 times into uh -huh. Mitri because it's this duplication of information. Uh, and that means we have to manually go in and help the patient remove all that information so that their pedigree Jeez. looks correct. Yeah, uh, so it looks like, you know, your grandmother had dementia 12 times. Uh, your family has history. Um, so I could see it helping Basically, us with Basically what you're telling like me that. is that, that our current system makes our, our EHR have dementia. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. And then, um, you know, we still have to do a lot of manual chart review, um, you know, when we're, we're putting together a phenotype algorithm. And so being able to see notes that make sense and, and aren't pages long, um, they don't have all this duplication um, and they've got the succinct information that we need to uh, validate our algorithm. I mean, that would just be fantastic because we still have to pull a lot of information directly from the note um, because it's not always easy to be able to pull and put things into tables um, that don't necessarily fit into one standard table. Hmm. So you were actually thinking this is a good thing for the research community. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, especially when you've got some, uh, when you have students who are doing chart review who aren't looking, who aren't used to looking at a chart, knowing what they're looking for. It gives you a little bit more, uh, I think, of a clear cut um, way to go through the note and say, these are the things you're going to look at in the note. These are the things that are going to be there. If they're not, we have a problem. We need to go back and, and refine the algorithm. Um, so I think it, it seems like it would make a lot of sense for the research. Okay, so then Heidi and Peter. Uh, so now we have the medical students. The medical students go and they see a patient. Let's say it's a patient who came to clinic with a glucose of, of 200, um, and they're taking a look at the patient. And you and I are all hoping that they're at least considering some labs to look at diabetes and potential causes of the glucose. But now the, di the those labs aren't in the note because they've learned this new model and they create a note for this visit, and their a their APSO might say some things about the fact that they are concerned about uh, you know getting an A1C to see how long the glucose has been at this level, maybe scheduling an eye exam to see if there's any evidence of issues that might relate to diabetic retinopathy in this patient who maybe has had this for a while, but they've not at all looked at some of the other endocrine disorders that could be attached to this, or even looked at some of the other acute changes that could be related to the, the hyperglycemia that we see, or in this case, maybe it was hyperglyceria that we see in this patient. How do you help with the training piece? Or do you teach them to do something very different in terms of what they write for a note patient like this? So we never said that they couldn't mention a glucose of 200 in their notes. What we said is we didn't build a template that pulls in dot last 90 days of labs, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those are two very different things. Yes. Referencing labs that need attention or are out of range or uh, et cetera uh, is an important part of what you might do in a note. But putting it in the context of this is or isn't unusual for the patient or here's the next step is the important part. All the time we have requests for pulling in the last three PHQ-9s. And really talking about the score is better or worse, or the score is normal or not normal, is more information than just a number is. Yep. And, and that's the part that's gotten lost in all of the endless links that we've been using. Yeah, yeah. It's that whole so that's hierarchy, what I right? The medical the, student. Yeah, that data knowledge. Um, information wisdom. Information wisdom hierarchy, right? Yeah. I think it actually brings another good point, which is another thing we get a lot of questions about, which is, well, I've always been taught that if it's not in the note, it didn't happen. And and again, I think that that's where we're not saying don't do it, but we're saying 
don't lie either that it, just because it's in the note did it actually happen right and so pulling in the last 90 90 days worth of labs did you actually review it and process it and take all that data and transfer it into something more meaningful so you so i'm not a doctor but i play one on tv um but i i wonder like did training for physicians did it has it been slow to really incorporate the right type of training for the EHR and we've we're just starting to catch up does that make sense i think we've done a great job of technical training of the EHR but we haven't had conversations about it how it changed our practice or now how we want to adopt it to have a new way in response to the new documentation guidelines etc yeah i think that that's hitting to where I'm, I'm going with this is that um you know vanderbilt was really early in starting uh having an ehr whereas whereas like i, I lived in uh atlanta in 2012 and there was still one hospital that was doing um chart review or charts charting handwritten and EHR because they were afraid to lose the <laughs> handwritten chart. Um, you know, and, and I think about just how uh, a lot of physicians around that time, and that was about 10 years ago, were still really afraid of using electronic health record. And so, you know, I think you know, what, what you just said, are, you know, are some of our physicians they're just doing it because that's what they're kind of told to do. They have to use this electronic chart mechanism. Whereas now we're at this point where I think hospital systems can learn how do we want to use it? Do you think that's why Epic probably didn't require some of these modules to be turned on and, and have uh, um, templates put together because they kind of want to let the system figure out what they wanted? You know, before the, before HIE, became what it is now and even potentially somewhat now the electronic health record to some degree was designed so that it could be printed and sent to the insurance company mm. so there were limit realistic limitations around how things could be presented so that they still could meet the needs uh, for payment and i think now we're in a new spot there with more payers being able to components of the EHR, better health information exchange so we can send data that isn't in the notes, et cetera. But I do think that that's a part of how we started with recreating a paper chart in a computer and now are saying, huh, you know, how can we do this differently? Hmm. I think I think the other component to this too is is there, it's part of what we are talking about here today, which is clinical informatics. And it's having people who are providing healthcare also helping shape the, the look, the feel and function of the health record. And there, not to say that wasn't happening at the kind of, you know, with the early growth of the record, but it's a field that really is, looks completely different than it did 10 years ago. And that's coming from someone who just barely has stepped their foot into it, but I'm sure the rest of you can say how, how much things have changed. Well, um, I will tell you that, if you go back to 1991 and read the literature, you'll find that what we're doing now, what you guys are doing now, is that. What actually happened was that in 2005 to 2009, there was a growth of an electronic health record, but what had been pitched in the late 1990s was a computer-based patient record, which was a very different animal. 
So there is a conflation of terms, and what you've said is exactly the way my interpretation of that period, which I happen to be a part of, transpired. Um, which brings me to the, my final question, and then I want to make sure we cover anything else you guys want to talk about. Um, Judy Faulkner, in a recent um, user group meeting, the her big meeting in the, in the, in the uh, late summer, mentioned kind of as an offhanded comment that it's time we stop calling it an electronic health record and just call it the health record because there's no longer anything that's not an electronic version of that. What do you guys think? Does that in some way help your, the movement that you've started, which is to help decrease the way, change the way documentation occurs and all hopefully improve its clarity to go kind of back to the way it used to be? So, so there was a there was a Reddit thread that just kind of came around our group at EW maybe a year ago now, um, and it was a bunch of people kind of chiming in about re resistance to health records. And someone came in from Ireland who said, "Like, you guys have no idea what it's like. We're still on paper charts here. Like, I would take anything we could get to that." And you know, I replied to this is it's sort of the inverse of there's you know the story about the frog who is in the pot and you heat the water up and they don't realize they're boiling. Well, this is kind of the reverse is that everyone right now in the world of, of our health record thinks we're all on fire or we're all burning and we just maybe have kind of lost sight of what it was like before and how much harder things would be in the world we live today with the amount of data we have and trying to put that all back into a non-electronic medium. It, it's mind boggling to me how you could ever be, be able to survive in that environment. So we, we kind of talk about that as our joke is how do you convince the frog that they're not boiling? Right. <laughs> that, the, that the usability is much better than it was 10 or 15 years ago, that yes. we would really miss health information exchange if we didn't have it at our fingertips. All of the things we've sort of, we took on one little incremental change at a time, but over the course of years has brought us you know, a huge distance forward from where we were. Yeah. yeah, I think the analogy we're looking for is how do we convince people that these are first world problems, which is a very difficult conversation to have. But that's what I'm hearing you say is, yeah. let's get you back to some place where you get nothing and see how you feel about it. It's dangerous because yeah, you don't want to be condescending in it. But at the same time, it's like, look at this wonderful tool we have and look at all of the things that it makes our lives easier for rather than focusing on the things that feels worse or feels hard as a result of it. And some other time you can have us back to talk about how many of the things that physicians complain about are, um, are things that are regulated through the EHR or, or mediated through the EHR rather than the EHR itself. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any final comments from you, Peter or Heidi? I, I mean, I would say, you know, it's it's this is really a limited scope on one small problem, which I think, again, gets back to the, the bigger thing that we can do, which is finding ways to take things that seem like big problems and distill them down to small, simple things. And again, our template, we've been talking so much about it. It's just 10 lines of text. It's really not a lot, but it's the bigger project of how it all fits together. And that kind of socio-technical change that you're looking to get um, within any complex problem. So it's fun to do this, but it's it, it always, you know, you keep pulling back layers to find out all the other different challenges. Yeah, true. Heidi? That was well said. So we can move it at that. Well, that, that, that's true. <laughs> St. Any final comments? 
Um, I will just the last question that you had. Um, I think it would be okay to start using the term health record instead of EHR, but I would feel comfortable when we stop using the fax machine. <laughs> and the pager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The day the pager and the fax machine go is when we can start saying health record. I feel like I may have to like make that a tagline for the whole episode. <laughs> sure, we can make the notes longer, but do, can, do we have to get rid of the fax machine? <laughs> yeah. Well, anybody, everybody, thank you so much. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Incidentally, for those of you interested in seeing some of this discussion and not just hearing about it, check out our Facebook site or my YouTube channel where we put the videos for public consumption. Good stuff, I think. By the way, we've got some great topics queued up, so stay tuned. Till next time, stay well, get your booster, keep a positive outlook on life. Science, protecting and curing. See you later. <laughs>